What's going on, beautiful world? Welcome to another episode of the Black Sheep Perspective. Um, we are in season three. This is our second show, season three. I believe this is episode 34, if I'm not mistaken. I am honored to have my guest here today. I literally went and cherry-picked him from another podcast because I saw what he was talking about. It really got my attention. And if you guys viewing, or if it's your first time on the podcast listening, I love to reach out to people who genuinely get my attention, who literally leave me thinking of like, whoa, I want to know more about that person. I want to know more about their expertise. Damn, I would love for that person to tell me how that happened and how they bounced back from it. Whatever it is, the stories vary, as do my guests. And I got, and I want to give a shout out to them because I love to give credit where credit is due. Shout out to my boys, Marvin and Chris at the Coffee Breakup podcast. This is where I picked off Dr. Sam Hasty. Yes. Thank you for coming to the show. Pleasure. Pleasure. I really, really appreciate it. When you came in here, we started talking right away, and I told you, Doc, I was just looking at all your credentials and what you've been doing, so on and so forth, and it was like, this man barely got time to breathe. You know, you've just been part of so many different things. Um, But let's bring people into what, 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 what you were doing on the coffee breakup and what you are, what is you doing in your career. You're a psychologist, but let's break that down to the core. First of all, what got you into psychology? I am a fanatic of Anything that has to do with psychological everything, you yeah. know, everything about the mind, how f- just phenomenal it is, what it can do. What got you into that? Great question. And uh, Wesley, first of all, let me express my appreciation to you. Oh, thank, uh, you. thank you. Not just for the invitation, but for the work you do. Okay. Appreciate and it. I appreciate so much this, th- this channel by which individuals can get good quality information uh, because people are hungry. People have lots of questions. They need answers. And the work that you and others do, like as you gave kudos mm. to Chris and Marvin for the work that they do, people just want information. Right. And I am grateful that that your podcast, along with Chris and, 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 and Marvin's, really is looking to provide quality information. Yes. Because people are hungry. There's a lot of trash out there. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of quality out there. So hats off to you. Thank you very much. I Truly appreciate that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what brings me into psychology? Yes. Interesting story because in 1983, I leave the the Bahamas, my home of origin, travel to a little college in western Tennessee. I'm going to study to be a pastor. So off I go. So you were born and raised in the Bahamas. Born and raised in the Bahamas. come flying the coop, leaving high school. Yeah. Yes. Boom. Go over there because uh, as I'm raised in the Bahamas, raised to be uh, Christian, heavily into church, right? So I said to my dad on, you know, when I was finishing high school, I'm going to end up being one of two things, either a pastor or a politician. Never considered <laughs> that there was another P called psychologist. Wow. <laughs> so I leave home, I go to college, and while I'm preparing for the pastorate, I come across this thing called psychology because psychology 101 is a required college course, liberal arts education. And lo and behold, I discover this thing called particularly behavioral psychology. And as I'm studying this thing, I discover that I'm doing better in my psych course than I am in my pastoral courses. So my professor... Uh, that, psych- that new passion was growing. It, 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 it was because... What it signaled to me was, and 
I knew that there was something there even growing up, that there was a, there was a, there was a yearning for a connectedness with how people think and behave. Love it. Right? Okay. And so while I was raised to believe and, and, and just practice from day to day, kind of the pastoral pieces of it and connecting with people through spirituality, there was another way to connect with people called psychology. And so as I'm, as I'm taking these courses, um, my professor says, Sam, have you ever considered psych as a major? Uh, no, and quite frankly, it's a little too late because I am one year away from graduation. There's a little girl waiting in the Bahamas to be married. There's no way I'm going to extend my, my collegiate career for an additional year just to get that major, okay? So I'm going to finish up here, get my pastoral degree, go home, become a pastor, and then if psychology finds me along the way, maybe I'll pick that up later. That's exactly what happened. When you referred to that little girl who was waiting at um, back in the Bahamas, was this what you thought was it might be your future wife, or was that a reference that said that there's always somebody who wants to get married and I want to be the one to marry them? Excellent question. Oh, that was going to be my wife. The date was set. Uh, oh, snap. Okay. The date okay. was set. When you left for school, you guys were already had already been together? No. It happened while I was in school, which then made it a, a, a distant relationship. Right. So okay. we met in high school, and then I, quote-unquote, fell in love with her, mm -hmm. and she reciprocated by wanting to be a friend and then eventually decided, mm, you're not the one. See you later, alligator. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, my heart is crushed, right? So, but then we go off to college, and as it turns out, we both grow up and this connection begins and it grows and it matures. And so by the time we get in completely different colleges, I mean states away, but by the time we're done with college and through dating, we discover, mm, I think there might be something here. So I said, I'm going to wrap this thing up because she graduated one year ahead of me. Okay. I'm going to wrap this up, go home, get married, become the pastor, which I did. But after being a pastor for a year, I decided, mm, I don't think this is my cup of tea. I'm going to become an educator. I started teaching high school and then discovered that all of the things that I was learning in psychology, particularly about memory, I was really trying to help my students how to improve their academics by improving their memory. That's psychology. And became very, very good at it and decided, you know what? I'm off to school again. And that's when I left the Bahamas in 1989, moved to Philadelphia, have never been back to the Bahamas to live since. Wow. So I've been here in America for almost 32 years, married that little girl almost 35 years ago. In fact, June wow. 7th will make 35 years. Uh, congrats on that. That's Thank awesome. You. Wow. Thank you. Wow, wow, wow. Thank you. Okay. And, okay, so at this point, first of all, I've never heard of a pastor walking away from that career yeah. is that something that happens often or very or is it seldom so it it it's becoming more and more it, it's becoming more and more frequent but what's also true that in 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 my faith in my denomination it's very difficult to be a pastor period so in many instances because um full-time work in many instances cannot support you you do something else now, fortunately for me, when I graduated, I was a full-time pastor, made enough money to take care of me and my wife. That's generally unusual. But it is becoming more and more common for individuals 
to walk away from the pastorate without necessarily walking away from God. Okay, I get it. It's difficult work. I get it. It is difficult work, and in most instances, it just doesn't pay very well. It just doesn't. And you mentioned your domination, your um, your belief now is what? So, born and raised. Catholic, right? Christian. Christian. Christian, non-denominational. Dominant, okay. Associated with the churches of Christ. Okay. Still associated with the churches of Christ. But what has happened over the years is that I've become less religious and more spiritual. And what I mean by that is, whereas for me, the way in which I was raised is you had to be at church every time the door opened, and because that's just, I mean, that's that's the way it was. I mean, right. my dad was a, was a, was, was a very, very strong leader in the church, still is, still is. So went to church at least three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening. That's just for church meetings. Now, now for other kinds of meetings, it would be a couple of meetings throughout the day. So raised as a Christian, still Christian, but more spiritual than I, than I have ever been. And what I mean by that is as I've studied particularly psychology, and understand human thinking and human behavior, and I begin to look at that through the lens of Christianity, it helps me have a great appreciation of the great I am who is in heaven. Right? And so what I now do is draw on all of that. In fact, the, the, the model that I've created, which is called the four-dimensional love model, which is a romantic, um, quote-unquote romantic, uh, relationship model that shows how relationships tend to tend to develop and disintegrate really came out of this blend of psychology and spirituality. So the four-dimensional love model has four dimensions, the first of which is selfish love, the second of which is exploratory love, the third of which is contractual love, and the fourth and final is covenant love. It is that covenant love that comes from the concept that God created a covenant with mankind. And the difference between the covenant love, which is the highest possible love form, versus contractual love, contracts are negotiated. Covenants are not. There's no, so if you and I come in, you, you, you and I wouldn't come into covenant because we would negotiate that. I would create a covenant with you, or you create one with me. Which means that when you and I come into that covenantal relationship, relationship, my relationship with you has almost nothing to do with you, so, has everything to do with me. Right, right. Now, when you, when you say that, and I remember you covering this topic with the fellas, is, is it, and I'm, I'm not, I guess I'm trying to dumb it down a little bit for, for those who might not bite onto it as well as others. Sure. Is that almost comparable to saying, if you're not good in your heart, if you're not at peace with yourself, if you don't love yourself enough, whatever it is, if you are uncomfortable in some shape or form with who you are, you're not going to have the ability to love somebody. Or you're going to look for that same thing in somebody. You're going to look for the you in somebody else. More of the latter than the former. So what we tend to hear is that unless you love yourself, you cannot love someone. That is simply not true. That is not true. Right. Uh, in fact, this came up yesterday, uh, last evening in a class. As you know, I'm a professor at Miami-Dade College, and I teach in, in, in the Division of Psychology. And in my class on group counseling, particularly as related to substance abuse, one of the things that I wanted my students to understand is that when you're working with groups, 
it is critical to establish trust in groups. And so I gave this exercise that really talks about trust. And most of the students said that if you don't trust yourself, you cannot trust someone else, which is not true. And they said, well, yeah, it is true. And I said, okay, well, have you ever taken an airplane flight? And everyone said, yes. And I said, when you took that flight, did you sit in the passenger seat or did you sit in the cockpit? So obviously I sat in the passenger seat. Great. You did not fly the plane? No, I did not. You mean you trusted someone to do something that you didn't trust yourself to do? Mm, yes, I did. Yes, I did. Well, the same is true with love. In fact, one of the greatest misconceptions, one of the reasons we have so many problems with individuals, particularly in, in romantic interpersonal relationships, is this idea that you really cannot love some, that, that you have to love yourself before loving someone else. And that's not true. Many, many people love other people without loving themselves. And that's why they mm -hmm. look for connectedness with other people, because what they're looking for is love. In fact, what I teach is, because I very strongly believe it, there is no need for you to look for love in someone else when you yourself are love, L-O-V-E, not L-O-V-E-D. Because to the degree that you personify love, love being defined as patience, kindness, gentleness, forgiveness, forgiveness, to the degree that you personify those things, there's no need for you to look for that in someone else. And so what we keep looking for in other people is to be filled up. And what happens is, if you buy into that kind of thinking and someone does fill you up, you now have to hold that person hostage in order for you to continuously be filled up. Whereas, what I believe is that to the degree that you are love, you are patient, kind, gentle, giving, forgiving, everyone around you, they become the recipient of the love that you personify. And so ideally what you want is to come into relationship with someone else who they themselves are love, L-O-V-E. And as they personify patience, kindness, gentleness, givingness, and forgiveness, you become the recipient of that love that they are simply by being in relationship with them. No one then is held hostage in that relationship because both people are free to leave as love just as they came into the relationship that's love. Does that make sense to you? It, it, com it completely does. And what I was still here thinking is, okay, how does one come up with this concept? And, and as I was thinking that, I was also thinking, okay, how many people in, in, in your career, with your standards, with your you know education, agree or disagree with this? Because you know, we, I, I, we should challenge everything, by Correct. all means. Correct. And... and even though scientists are scientists and psychologists, you guys are on this the same playing field of that. You you still have you know uh, uh, not altercations, but you know the disbeliefs in one another, one yes. each other's beliefs on so many different levels. So I was trying to think all of that in my in my mind because um, you know people are misled, and when you've seen you know two different eras, right now it's so technological. They're living a false life. They're Correct. they're feeling a false love, and I'm Correct. sure you could totally you know decipher that in better details so they're they're just they're i don't know their judgment is clouded of course how can you convince them see because i'm vibe with you I, i'm understanding what you're saying but again I'm not trying to dumb it down i'm just wondering man those of you listening those of you watching how can you really grasp what he's saying not maybe accept it right away but you know embrace it 
and feel confident about it because you know not not everybody's challenging it. Just has a lot of support behind it. You, you understand what I'm saying? So I understand completely. It is a process. Mm-hmm. It is a process. So what I accept, number one, is the things that I teach because I strongly believe them. They 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 are at odds with the traditional teachings and concepts. Okay. So for example, most people are familiar with uh, the five love languages, the book that talks about uh, there are five love languages. Everybody brings that shit up. <laughs> it, 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 and, and listen, um, uh, Dr. Gary Chapman, mm-hmm. clinical psychologist, wrote the book quite a number of years ago, right? The book has sold gazillions of copies in many different languages the world over. I completely disagree with the idea of five love languages. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah. For several reasons. First and foremost, why five? Why not four? Why not 15? What clinical evidence is there that there are five love languages? Zero, zilch, not a none, none, right? But five becomes a very powerful marketing tool. Why? Short-term memory holds five to nine pieces of information for 10 to 30 seconds. And so if I'm able to market something somewhere between five and nine, within 10 to 30 seconds, I can get you to remember that thing. Right, the elevator pitch is right there. It is there, it is there. But also, Dr. Chapman based his work on the concept that each of us has somewhere within us a love tank that has to be filled up by someone outside of us. So in his book, he talks about this very young girl, Ashley, who was not feeling loved by her parents. And so for that reason, her love tank was empty and it really needed to be filled up. And if it wasn't filled up by her parents, she would then go on into adulthood and continue to have empty tank syndrome kind of a thing. Well, it makes complete sense if there is a love tank. I come along and says, there's no such thing as a love tank. You are the love. You are the love. So it's a very, very... I mean, it's an uphill battle for me and what I preach and what I teach because what people want to hear that aligns with their traditional thinking is that somebody loves me. Someone out there wants me. And for that reason, there has to be a tank that's empty that really needs to be filled up with some... Again, it's just a very romantic kind of... We all want somebody to care about us. We all want to feel relevant. And what I preach and teach, so to speak, is that you are relevant. You are relevant. The fact that you are human and you are here, that's relevancy. Mm-hmm. That is relevancy. So do you feel, I mean, I would hope, I think you do to a certain extent, maybe just, you know, uh, you, you part way, you believe it in some in some situations and others you don't. But traditional ways, people watching and hearing the podcast, you know, I, I do say this a lot. I think that a lot of our progression, a lot of our involvement, you know, continuously evolving is being held back by some dead weight, some anchor, you know, attached to our ankles of traditional ways. Yes. And we need to try to not break from them, not shit on them, not act like they never happened. Correct. No, but, but we need to realize, okay, we're smarter now, we're wiser. Correct. We, there's different ways, whether technologically or whatever it is. Correct. So with that said, we have been anchored down and now people have this false, you know, pretense of what love is and it's hard to shake them out of it it is especially if they think they've fallen in love before and i know how you feel about that especially when they want and i and i really want to talk about this when they talk about 
romance. Correct. And how that is a big part of a relationship and the expectations of, of being romantic. Can you please tell everybody where romance came about, where the word derives from, and give them a quick you know, fact check, history check of where that comes from? Absolutely. One of the things that I enjoy most in my teaching career is teaching about romance. Romance as we know it today, R-O-M-A-N-C-E, started out 900 years ago as R-O-M-A-N-Z. And when romance started out 900 years ago, it started out because the Romans who created this concept of romance wanted individuals to distinguish and separate the stories that were being told in the Romance language. They wanted that to be completely separate and set aside from stories that were being told in the original official language of the Romans, which was Latin. Okay. So Romance as a language, which is a, which is a French dialect, was created by the Romans so that any time the language was used, people knew that it was something that was fictitious. It was something that was made up. It was something that was being used for the purpose of entertaining. It was not to be taken literally nor real. So stories that were told in the Romance language were stories like the knight in shining armor. Because what would happen 900 years ago? There was no internet. There was no television. There were no podcasts. But there was still a need for people to spend their time during the day doing something. Some type of entertainment. Some kind of entertainment. And 900 years ago, most of the people who were being entertained at that time were female audiences because men were busy working in the fields, particularly uh, the kings and soldiers or at war and doing what they had to do. Mm -hmm. And so women, for the most part, were left to kind of sit around and find something to do with their day. So what did they do? They, they, they hired troubadours, as they were called, entertainers. Okay. All right? Um, Michael Jackson, Taylor Swift, the Beatles, Maya Angelou. Of that era. Of that, that, would, er, of that era. That's what they were called. That's what, yeah, they were called troubadours. Interesting. They were just like the entertainers of today, poets yeah. and songwriters and screen film. Of course, there was no film, right? Right, right. And so these individuals would come in and they would be paid literally in gold for the work that they would do. And so in order to keep the gold rolling literally, what would they do? They would then tell the stories that would capture the attention of their audience, which was primarily female audiences. And so they would talk about the knight in shining armor who would come riding from the battlefield, this damsel in distress, and he would just come in shining armor on the white horse and sweep her off her feet. Oh, to be so saved by some... It, that's crazy. It's the same thing that happens today. And so, unfortunately, what happens? 900 years later, we have many novels that are being told. We have many films that are being made under the romantic theme. People then believe that it is true, and so they go into relationships expecting some kind of romantic theme to continue indefinitely. And when they start having problems in their relationships, they don't know that it is because romance isn't real. It was never intended to be real. And so now they said, okay, we either have fallen out of love or you don't love me, you love someone else because the romance has died. Well, no, no, it never died. It was never real in the first place. Something that isn't real can't die. This microphone can't die. It's not real, right? There's no heartbeat to it, right? So that is the number one culprit in my mind 
in the kinds of challenges that, but it makes sense, particularly in a capitalistic society, to embrace romance. Why? Mm-hmm. Lots of money, diamond rings and gifts and Valentine's Day and chocolate and getaways for the weekend. It's all romantic. It's, it's okay to do those things as long as you know. First of all, it's not real. Number two, be romantic, but ha- that has its limitations. Right. Most people try to sustain it as if it is real, which is unsustainable. And then that's what causes the failure. Absolutely. What's up, folks? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Black Sheep Perspective Season 2. If this happens to be your first time watching or listening, please take a quick second to hit that subscribe button and tap that notification bell so that you don't miss another episode. Once again, thank you everyone out there for all the support. Okay, so on that note, Doc, I, I wonder, is that a really big kryptonite? Is that, a, is that, is that kicking a leg out of a, from under a relationship when they get pretty much what you just said? Too, the, the expectations are too high for the consistency of romance and whatever level, because I'm sure that everybody has a different understanding or expectation of romance. One can be more just flowers and a you know surprise. The other one right. can be the dinners. The you know the gestures can go on and on. It all depends. But is that a big? Is that does that play that key of a role when they when somebody feels in a relationship? I think nine times out of ten, correct me, the female. That the romance is no longer there, doesn't exist. Is that one of the biggest reasons that relationships fall apart? Perhaps the largest. Really? Perhaps the largest. Because imagine for a moment, uh, Wesley, you, you, you've been raised to believe something all of your life. And you don't know any sure, different, yeah, yeah. right? You right, don't right, know right. any different. Yeah, you don't know that it, right? well, they, they shouldn't think like that. Yeah. Right? And so if you believe in something all your life to be the foundation, and then for some reason things are not measuring up, to what you have been told, what you've been led to believe, in fact, what you have practiced yourself. But it's not, okay, you know what? Something is wrong here. And and I suspect that this person doesn't love me anymore, and the evidence of them not loving me is because I don't get gifts anymore, I don't get flowers anymore, I don't get, hey, honey, I love you. And all of those are romantic themes. All of those are romantic themes. And, 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 and it's safe to say, without me reading, ever reading the book, those are the type of things that fall under the, um, the five languages? Yes. These type of gestures. One is more uh, touch, yes. uh, verbal, and... Uh, gifts, mm-hmm. touch. Those, so these yeah. five languages, and the idea behind the five languages mm-hmm. is that you have a particular language, right? So Wesley has a... He, he speaks a certain language, and what Sam needs to understand is Wesley's language and vice versa. Mm. And to the degree that we understand each other's language, we then speak those languages. So if your language is, is, is gifts, then what Sam needs to do to maintain a healthy relationship with you is give you gifts. If Sam's language is words of adoration, then you can build and sustain healthy relationship with Sam by giving him words of adoration. And it, that's the way it goes back and forth and back and forth. And unfortunately, what has happened for more than 20 years that the book has been written, millions of people the world over have now bought into the love languages and 
that has held people hostage. So the minute that language is not being spoken, you have to conclude that the person no longer loves you. So how, how about if I piggyback that and just take the baton from you real quick? Just yesterday I was uh, training a client of mine, awesome, cool homegirl home of mine, Michelle. Shout out to Michelle. Um, and we were talking about you know, relationships and so on and so forth, and I, and I told her that I wanted her to go I, you know, I said, hey, I'm going to have this podcast, you know, with this guy's name is Dr. You know, Sam, you know, hasty, hasty, and he came from the coffee break. But I gave the whole breakdown. I said, I want you to go look at the breakup and see, you know, what, what he's about. And then I want you to see this and that, whatever. Anyways, then we caught back up on it. And she brings up the five love languages. Yeah. And she brought it up like, oh, my God, I was about to buy it. Like, you know, because everybody's talking about it, and, you know, and I'm trying to. I'm trying to figure out who I am, and, and, and here you are talking about how misled people are. And yeah. it's not to bash Buddy's book. No. it's not. I, I'm definitely not trying to do that, and I know you're not trying to no. do that. You told not me you even worked with him before, I think, right? But or you know no, him. No, no, no. I just, I, I just know him because he's a clinical psychologist okay. in terms of, of, I mean, anyone can get on the website right. and look up for Dr. Uh, Gary Chapman. So imagine this. You said to yourself, your whole life you've been brought up to believe a certain way, whatever it is. And then, then you have the part of you witness certain things. Correct. That makes you, you know, it's like being seeing a broken house and then oh, I'll never have a broken my, my house will never be broken like that. And then you become the exact replica. Correct. Because you don't realize it's embedded in you. It's Correct. what you saw. It's, you know, anyway, so generalizing what the world is like, be realistic. How difficult if we were going to make a change and how long would it take for people to pull apart far enough Far enough. Like, I don't think people have left religion. I'm not a religious person. Okay? Correct. I don't think people have left religion. But I know that today, in today's era, a lot more people have branched out. Correct. Have gotten more into science, whatever it might be. So, you know, to me, I look at that as involvement. Doesn't mean you have to leave it, even no matter my beliefs. Correct. But at least I, I like the involvement. They're, okay, you're not overly anchored. Correct. You're just connected. Putting that in perspective, how long would it take for us to convince people to start thinking or approaching love and romance and all this in a different manner? Yeah, excellent question. The length depends on how quickly we're actually able to get to the masses. So what I mean is... The platform? Is, yeah, yeah, yes, so, so, so there are 7 billion people in the world, right? How quickly can we get to 7 billion people in the world? Mm-hmm. And, and it's, not, it's not so much that individuals would not be willing to make the change. Because in my experience, I can teach on the subject of romance in 10 minutes. People get it. People get it. And even if they don't make a complete change within that 10 minutes or in the first half hour after having heard about it, they cannot forget whatever I've taught them. Okay. And so when they begin to experience it all over again, they say, oh, you know, yeah, this thing is not real. Now I understand. So, so it's planting the seed. The seed will germinate. The question is, as the farmers, how quickly can we plant the seed the world over? That's the bigger challenge. So if, if, if a Joe Rogan had you on this platform, and he's got such a huge platform, and he's got millions of views. That's a big platform. It you, is. You know you infected a good chunk of that the world correct. by something like that. So that's how. Okay. That is correct. I get it. I get it. That you is know? correct. It's kind of like, um, you know, I know this is not changing topics, but it's a funny comparison. I, I got to plug it in there. 
When the movie uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, mm-hmm. saying it back, okay, when that came out, I don't know what that did for you. I would imagine you were all over the place with that one, but um, when it came out, you know, a meme, you know, the internet always wins, of course. <laughs> the meme came out and uh, it said, uh, <laughs> all these women, all these women talking about Fifty Shades of Grey, like like they're about that life, but can barely take a a finger in the butthole, <laughs> <laughs> and I. I <laughs> I absolutely lost it. And the reason I bring that up is because everybody wants, you know, they, they, they're looking for that significant another. They Correct. want the right one. Correct. And, and, they, and they live in this fantasy life of this is the way, this and that. But they, they really don't want to put in the work that it takes. They're not, they're not really deciphering things and, and jumping out. Of, don't even jump out the box. Just throw that box away. Guess Correct. what? That box has, has had you encaged for too long. Just break that shit down. Put it to the side. Correct. Use the wisdom that you've accumulated up until this, you know, age of mid twenties, thirties. Correct. And start, you know, taking in a different direction. Yeah. The the one of the things I'm, I'm uh, I teach very strongly is don't look for the right one. Look to be the right one. Mm, love it. There you go. Because the 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 I'm convinced, Wesley, that 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 the vast majority of challenges that we have as human beings in life but particularly in relationships, is undergirded by one major problem. No matter what the labels are, and we call them in different kind of settings and situations, one major problem. That major problem is selfishness. So, for example, those of us who study this field, we say time and time again, when we look at the data, we look at the statistics, what we tend to see is that generally there are three top reasons for separation and or divorce. Usually it goes in this order, right? Okay. Number one, financial matters. Okay. You guys hear that, right? Yeah, financial exactly. matters. That's the first one. And when you say that, is there a little bit, you don't have to go so deep into it, but is there a little bit more details to it as in someone's making more than the other or they're just both kind of broke and struggling? Like when you say that, what is it more lean towards? Both of those. Both of those, okay. Both of those, right? So when you look at individuals both of whom are in a relationship and neither one has sufficient income to sustain that companionship or that relationship, it it. becomes challenging because the reality is that it it costs to live. Yes. Right? So in other situations, you have where individuals are making more than they need, but there's a discrepancy and who has the larger... Exactly. Exactly. Right? So now that becomes... Uh, uh, a reason for rub, so to speak. Okay, so that's number one. Number one. Okay. All right. Communication, number two. I thought that would be number one. And uh. and, and these things will rotate okay. depending okay. on the right. study. Got you. Right? But more often than not, a lot of people will say communication is number one. Mm. And when you look at communication, a lot of people will say communication is number one or number two in the top three or five. And by communication, I mean we just don't communicate well. That's almost never the case. That's almost never the case, and I'll explain why in just a minute. And then number three, sexual intimacy. Mm. So now what I say is that the problems that we experience in relationship, they, 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 when we look at just these three, we could, we could go down the list of 50 or 100 or 1,000, but let's just look at these three. When you look at those three things, let me tell you what the problems in relationship with respect to finances is really about. Selfishness, right? I make more than you. I deserve to get more, I'm entitled to more, I have more power, right? Or we make about the same, but we're still not making enough. You're not doing what you need to do to get us to where we need to. Selfishness. 
selfishness. Communication. Here we go. You don't speak my language. And because you don't speak my language, then I'm not feeling the way I really should feel. Selfishness. Mm-hmm. Selfishness. Sexual intimacy. I'm not getting enough sex. You, 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 you know, you don't know what you're doing, and it, it just messes up the whole mood, right? Because I'm just not feeling your vibe. Selfishness. And what I challenge people to look at is every, every issue, every human issue that you have, almost every issue, right, is because of yours or somebody else's selfishness. And this is the kind of challenges that we have in relationships, no matter what, no matter what. These are the kinds of things that we have to learn to get better with. So the secret to good relationship, this comes back to not looking for the right one, but being the right one. And in being the right one, you look to root out selfishness in your persona. Now, that does not mean selflessness. There's really no such thing as a selfless person. Right. If you are selfless, you do not exist. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not, it's not selfless versus selfish. It is this concept of embodying who you are for who you can, in fact, be without doing hurt or harm to someone else. You being you and allowing the other person to be them. And this is where, for example, premarital relationship coaching makes a huge difference. The vast majority of people in this world never consider it. Never consider it. And so because we're constantly looking for the right person, that by definition is selfishness. We want someone who's going to be good for us as opposed to looking just to be a good person. And what happens is that when you focus on being a good person, People recognize that you're a good person, and all of a sudden, everyone now wants they, to be with you. They gravitate towards it, of, of course. Of course they gravitate, right? But because your focus on, is on being a good person, you are now able to see much more clearly who the other person truly is. You're not working from a defensive mechanism. Right. You're really working from a holistic, wholesome, healthy perspective because you have focused on your patience, your kindness, your gentleness, your goodness, your forgiveness. You are much able to see the degree to which someone is not patient, kind, gentle, giving, or forgiving to themselves. Not whether or not they are that for you, but whether or not they are that for themselves. So the secret is focus on being Mr. Right or Mrs. Right, rather than looking for Mr. or Mrs. Right. Very quickly, number two on this. The problem that we tend to have with this as well is because we're looking for Mr. or Mrs. Right, we already think that we are Mr. or Mrs. Right, and that's not true. And so we think that because we're a Mr. or Mrs. Right, that makes us special. And my message today to everyone is, (laughs) you're not special, okay? Mm -hmm. No one really is. Because here's the problem with being special. If everybody's special, then special ain't special. Exactly. Now, what people want to say is, I'm unique. Everyone is unique. There's no one in this world like anybody else, even in the case of twins. We know that because scientifically we've studied twins in any number of settings for years. Even identical twins, quote unquote, are not identical. So no one is special, but everyone is unique. And so let's get out of this thing of I'm special and so I deserve this or I deserve... You deserve nothing. You deserve nothing, right? What you have is you. Focus on you. Not in some some self-absorbed, egotistical way, 
but just simply recognizing that you are human and that you are capable of being patient, kind, loving, gentle, and forgiving. And as such, you radiate that. And to the degree that you do, people would want to be with you. Well, would you go as far as saying that if someone isn't those or doesn't have the majority of those qualities or doesn't at least exemplify them to a certain intensity that they shouldn't entertain a relationship? Excellent question. Because one of the... I don't want to say it would be Misery Loves Company, but you know where I'm going with yes. it, you know? I mean... Yes, yes. In a word, yes. But given that we all have the capacity, and this is where I made reference earlier to relationship and premarital coaching and counseling, makes the difference. Because we all have the capacity. But many people in many instances do not recognize... Quite often when I say, especially in counseling situations, I say to folk, you're selfish. The immediate retort is, no, I'm not. Here is what I do for others. Well, why would it be necessary for you to tell me what you do for others if you're not selfish? You're trying to prove to me that you're not selfish by, by, by proving that you're, in fact, selfish. Right? So, so there's no need for that. We all have the capacity to be the better version of ourselves. We all have that capacity. Again, like you said, it's not some religious some something. It's more of what I refer to as spirit, human spirituality. And to the degree that we're able to improve ourselves, first and foremost for us, to the degree that I am more patient with me, that reduces my own stress level. Mm-hmm. To the degree that I am kind to me, that produces more dopamine in my own brain. To the degree that I am forgiving for me, that makes me more productive when I try something and fail and I can try again because I can forgive myself for not having gotten it just right. But when I personify that, when that is indeed me, and you now are able to observe that, your response is going to be, oh my God, like, how do you do that, Sam? What I do is I recognize that as human, I have the capacity to be that person because that's who I want to be for me. And when I am that for me, you become the recipient of that because of who I am. Okay, so on that note, let's say the recipient. Let's say here's Sam, who's so loving and caring and thoughtful and unselfish and everything else. And then you have a recipient and you distribute all that. And it's not reciprocated. Doesn't have to be or whatever. It's not that's not the topic. But right. when you realize it's not reciprocated, and then either or in the middle of that situation, should one know enough where it's like, okay, there's a time span here, and I know this is what I give, this is how I am because I've, I'm I love who I am, and I know I'm in a good place, and so on and so forth. Correct. I'm not feeling this coming back for Correct. whatever reason in whatever time span. One, what should they do? you know, as a relationship piece of advice. And then two, those who do have it reciprocate. I mean, when they do get told, hey, I'm not, that's not me. You're awesome. You're this, you're great, you're that. But, you know, in other words, people keep falling short. Correct. Those who keep falling short, they, they, they feel that they're doing all the things that you have said. You know, be one with yourself. Figure all things out. Love yourself enough. All, if you have that package pretty good, and you keep falling short, kind of like when guys say, 
you girls don't want a good guy. You want the guy who treats you like shit. Right. You know, and and, and the proof is in the pudding. It just happens way too often. So sure. what do you tell that guy who keeps falling short, even though he's a great guy and he's practicing all these things, should he stop being so given? Should he stop being so loving, stop being love, as you say, because it's not coming back and it's not attracting? Or, or you know, what, what, what do you tell somebody like that? Excellent question. Excellent question. Let me first deal with the issue of reciprocation. So let's say you are the patient, kind, gentle, giving, forgiving person, and you're in relationship with someone who does not reciprocate that in kind. First of all, that's not what you're going to be looking for. You're not going to be looking for reciprocation. Here's the reason why. You don't need it. You don't need that. Number two. So given that you're not looking for that because you don't need it, the focus then is not so much on you as much as it is on the other person. What you recognize is that the person is not being the better version of themselves to them for them. And so you keep the focus on them. And the idea is, do you recognize that you're not patient, gentle, kind, giving, and forgiving? And while I am the recipient of that, the person who is the first recipient of that is you. And so that does not do you a great deal of good. My strong recommendation is you switch your thinking so that you can not only be the recipient of that from me, but you can be the recipient of that first and foremost as you. Now, your question still remains. Because if I'm in that relationship with you... So instead of telling them, hey, I'm not getting this back. Hey, you, you don't, you don't you know, show me this, show me that even though I do this and that. Instead of doing that, just keep giving to them and tell them, hey, do you know you don't give yourself this? That is correct. Do you know that I really noticed that you're not loving enough of your own this and that? Instead of putting it on you, put it on them. Don't be selfish. That is correct. And that in itself should help them. That is correct. Better themselves, which in, in turn will reflect by how they treat you. That is correct. I got it. That is correct. Does that make sense? Oh, 100%. Right? Because 100%. once again, we, we, we in our selfishness want to say, hey, I'm not getting from you. But if I keep in mind, I don't have to get from you, right? But when you give to yourself, by being in relationship with you, I become the recipient. Now, what's interesting here is by you not being love, I become the recipient of that not being love that you are. And the question for me is, not, do I want to continuously be the recipient of that not being love that you are? Uh, uh, now I get it. Now I get to make my decision yep. if I want to... So, just for the sake of simplicity, let's call it hate. If what you embody is love and what I embody is hate, by association with me, you become the recipient of the hate that I am. So you could say to me, Sam, you know, you, you, you're really not embodying love because you are not being patient, kind, gentle, giving, and giving, and forgiving to and for yourself. It is having a negative impact on me, but... It's, imp it's negatively impacting you first. Are you aware of that? And I might say, oh, my God, I didn't realize that. Right? I want to do something about that. Now, the minute you begin to do that, and I say, mm, it's really in my own best interest. When I make that change, you then become the recipient of the change that I have made. Exactly. Right? If, however, you then bring to light that, hey, Sam, you know, you're really not embodying love. Right? You, what you're embodying is hate. And then I decide, eh, dude, forget you. You're now in the position to say, ah, you know what? That, to me, is abusive. 
I am not going to allow you to abuse me in that way by being in this relationship with you. Therefore, I sever the relationship. I sever the relationship because you are showing no interest in you being the best possible version of you. That, unfortunately, is negatively impacting me. And if I continuously allow that to negatively impact me, I am no longer being loved for me. As a psychologist, counselor, coach, professor, you're constantly giving advice. Yes. You've heard and seen of almost all scenarios yes. from marriages to relationships to whatever it might be. I can only imagine. So when would you tell somebody or do you ever tell somebody? Cause like I'm, I'm, I'm the, Hey, cut that shit out quick. Boom. You know, it, uh, if, depending on your age and your level of wisdom, you already know by now, Correct. You, you know, so right. it's up to you how long you want to put up with whatever it is. That's not to your cup of tea. And, and if you think that telling this person, like what you're referring to right now, if you think that telling this person, reminding this person that they're not the best version of them and you would like to see them become a better version of them because that would impact the relationship better because you know everything we just talked about. It Correct. just happened as such. What's the cutoff period? Excellent question. How long do you wait? Where does one draw the line? Because you, I, I constantly say it, Sam. I say it all the time. Once you hit a certain age... There's only about three things that will change you, and they're all traumatic situations. Correct. Losing someone, mm -hmm. almost dying yourself, mm -hmm. or maybe going to prison slash jail. Correct. Those are all so traumatic that, okay, now you can change. Otherwise, by the time you're, I don't know, 35 above, that's, that's you. Yeah. That's you. So where does somebody draw the line? Where does somebody say, all right, in my mind, maybe I'm not going to tell this individual that, but right. in my mind, I'm going to try to help this person out, point out these things in the best way possible, so that they understand it, so they can be a better version of them. But if I don't see if so-and-so changes in this amount of time, I, I need to walk out of here. What Very good question. Me? Very good question. In a brand new relationship, and by brand new I mean when you meet someone today, that starts out as a new relationship. Okay. Right? In a brand new relationship, my recommendation is within the first three to four-month period. Lovely. Right? Okay. Within Grace. the first three to four like months. Right? So. You really should be paying very close attention in the first three to four months of right. having met someone to determine the degree to which that person is being loved as you are being loved. And within that first three to, and listen, you're going to know within the first two, three hours. Yeah, right, 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 right. You're going to know. I get it. So you can give yourself within three to four months to say, did you know, do you recognize that you're really not being Love, you're not being your best possible version of yourself. And if the person says, yeah, you know, but I really don't know what to do with that. Okay, great. Okay. Here's some suggestions, recommendations. You probably should get to get with someone who does this professionally. Over this three, four month period, let's see who you become. At which point, the two of you then may decide, ah, things have gone really well. Let's now go into a long-term relationship. Got you. Yeah. So what I recommend is in that first three to four month of that brand new relationship, that's where you pay attention to determine whether or not the relationship go any farther beyond that. If it does, then my strong recommendation is that after that three, four month period, both of you have decided there's something here that we can really work with. That's when you go into relationship coaching. Then you do that for the next six months with a professional who is really going to help you nurture, grow, mature that relationship in a healthy way. 
Now, let's say you and that person started out three to four months. You've helped them or you've brought to their awareness. Listen, something working right here, right? Do you want to do something about that? And said, no, you know, I just who I am. You accept me who the way. Okay, or not. See you later, alligator, kind of thing. Move on. Move on. If, on the other hand, after three, four months, that person demonstrating, as you continue can continuously demonstrate exactly. being love, then you go into the six months period of relationship coaching. And let's say that goes really well, and uh, over the course of a year or so, things eventuate to the point of marriage, if you believe in marriage, or a permanent long-term relationship. But sometime after being in that long-term permanent relationship, let's say two, three years down the road, that person is all uh, all over again, not personifying love. Do you quit them within the first three to four months? The answer is no. Because what you want to do then is by that time, you would have had sufficient evidence to see that this person is capable of being loved. And if something has now happened after a three-year period, let's say the loss of a loved one, the relationship has now experienced one person having lost a loved one. Now what do you do with that? That's where you now call on yourself to continue to be loved while trying to help that person work through that fracture, which may be more than three or four months. If I'm making any sense to you. Com completely are, and I have a great question for you on that note. What's up, folks? Thank you once again for tuning in to another episode of The Black Sheep Perspective, season two, baby. If this happens to be your first time watching or listening, please take a quick second to hit that subscribe button and tap that notification bell so that you don't miss another episode. And once again, guys, really, from the bottom of my heart, thank you, everyone out there, for all the amazing support. Okay, um, and I know, I mean, you have to, I know you got to leave soon, if not soon, soon, but soon enough. I, I could ask you questions for days. Of course. So I'm trying to pick and choose the right one. We'll ones. do it again. And yes, yes, for sure we will. Okay. Dealing with almost, you know, relationships that are just going bad. Correct. Okay, we got all the answers now. If everybody, you know, follow what you said and, and break off from old traditional ways, we'd have a better version of people if they just became better versions of themselves. They Correct. would find it within others and everything you just said. So let's, let's, say, let's not uh, uh, address that now. You're dealing with the norm, and the norm is all this ass-backwards, you know, decisions that have been made. A lot of relationships started early. They mature into different people. You know, like high school, college sweethearts that mature into grown folks who are now different, different passions, different whatevers, and they're going through this roller coaster. Do you, I, I would imagine that your, your, um, your code of ethics, if I can use that, mm -hmm. would be that you're going to, the same way if you were a lawyer, you're going to assume, even though if your heart tells you that this accused rapist probably did it, you're going to treat that person who's your client like if he is innocent. That's what your code of oath is supposed to do. So Absolutely. if you have these people who are you know, facing problems in their relationship and you know you can't give them this huge rundown, or you maybe you do, maybe you do, but when do you see enough where it's like, hey, guys, this, you, you might want to go the other way. Yeah. Do you ever tell somebody that? Absolutely. But, do you, but you, do you give yourself a certain window of, okay, well, I can't tell somebody that right away. Even if they bring a shit storm to me, I got to give them at least three months, six months of therapy, you know, what is that? How does yeah. that work for Excellent you? Excellent question. Excellent question. So, yeah, you do, you, 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 
you do say Ask to for a friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> of course, of course. So you do say to a person or to a couple, uh, particularly in, in in couples relationship, uh, not only is this not working, I don't see it working. Now, do you do that in the first session? If you do, then mm, okay, no one is that good. Mm-hmm. No one is right. So personally, what I've seen is again that 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 two to three month period in working with a couple. See that 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 three to four month period, I I my experience tells me that that is a significant yes. That even is even a, when approaching your own clients and trying absolutely. to absolutely gotcha. absolutely. So over that three to four month period, because as a clinician, what you're really doing is you are now inviting them to become the better version of themselves within that three to four month period in the relationship. And if you see that that really isn't working after about that three, four month period, you say to them, "Eh, in fact, I actually had a situation like this recently, right? Couple heard about me, contracted with me to work uh, with them to really move toward marriage. And what happened is after about two, three months, I was, eh, hey guys, you know, you, you're really not following through with the homework assignments. Uh, you're not doing the kinds of things that I'm asking you to do. And in addition to that, the problems that you presented with initially, those problems have not been resolved. In fact, in this first two months that we've, we've actually been working together, you separated. You separated. And then when one of you said that it was done, you convinced the other one that it wasn't, and so you came back and you got in touch with me, and here we go. You're now doing it for the third time in this six-month period. Listen, I have an ethical responsibility to say to you, maybe I'm just not the person for you, but in all probability, you're really not the person for each other, and not just for each other, probably not really for anybody else. Because you haven't. Become love. You, you simply have not become. You 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 yeah. you have not, and that's where the conflict keeps coming in. Right. But to the degree that you continue to look to the other as being the problem without looking inward to resolve the problem, because the truth of the matter is, if one of you did actually get better in this process, I would say, look, I think it's going to be that you really have matured and developed in this period. Where if you were to separate and now move into another relationship, there's a greater likelihood of that relationship becoming a healthy one. But that's not the case for either one of you. That's not the case for either one of you. I'd like to I'd like to think that I'm gonna assume I think I'm right. <laughs> the majority of people are, are are lazy. Yes. And when these things don't work out, <clears throat> it's just out of sheer laziness. On their own. Fuck, I gotta, do, I gotta do homework? Right. I gotta tell my wife who, you know, or my girlfriend who pisses me off after so-and-so happened, you know, oh, I gotta I say I love you four times a day. Whatever, I'm just making that up. Of but, course. Um, and they get lazy, and they don't want to put in the work. And, and as, as you're saying this, I'm thinking, man, this is very comparable to, like, me as a coach. I have clients. I'm teaching them everything. They know how to do the movements. Correct. They know what the, the, everything is, what's it working they need somebody to push them. Okay, that's me. Yes. A relationship. Yes. Someone is pushing a little bit harder than the other one. Yes. I realized, hey, I need to be more love. I need to bring love to them. So I got to bring information. I got to remind them you're doing good. You're looking better. You're getting stronger. Correct. Don't give up. We're months away from this, to that, to that. 
But the majority don't, unfortunately, unless they just do mixed martial arts with me. When we're on a weight management or muscle gain or whatever, they don't do the dietary part. They don't do the, mm. the, the, the good eating habits. And then here builds this frustration with them, and it just continues going, kind of like what you're saying, relationship. Right. Eventually, they want to stop training. It's not me. Correct. It's not me. And, it, and they, they know it's... The results are there, but they're not completely there because Correct. they realize they're still falling short. Correct. They're not doing the legwork that they're supposed to do, and that's a, that's a part of laziness. And Correct. it just seems that these people, majority of them, do that. People don't want to get out of their comfort zone, Doc. It's fearful. It's fair more so than anything else. So, so, so because of that, sorry to cut you off. Because, go ahead. Because of that, do you think that people are now gravitating or just accommodating each other more often than not? Unfortunately, as in yes. like basically, basically what we call settling for less. Yes. What you call settling. You know yes. what? I'm not willing to work on myself and change all these, you know, things to make me this better version. He's good enough. I'm good enough. You you down to deal with this? Yeah. yeah. We know we're gonna go through issues, but you're down to deal with this for now. Correct. All right, cool. We'll deal with the. We'll cross the bridge when it gets there. Correct. That is what I call the contractual love phase. Yeah, uh, that's right. That's right? right. You mentioned that. I'll yes. do for you if you do for me. But yeah. if you don't do for me, I won't do for you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. The higher level is covenant. I am love. I am prepared to continuously be love with or without you. Not for you, for me, but then you become the recipient of the love that I am. So people are fearful because for all of us, we want to hang on to something. We need to believe something. And when we have grown up believing certain kinds of myths like romance, mm -hmm. to come from under that, is very, very fearful unless we know that we can go somewhere else with something. Now, that said, that said, a lot of people don't want to do the work. And so it's not just fear, but like you say, just plain old laziness. So <laughs> my physician, for example, has been saying for at least a year, if not more, Sam, you're, you're, you're gaining weight as you get a little bit older. Yeah, Doc, I know, I know. Um, <laughs> so are you exercising? Yeah, like particularly when I get out of bed and I walk to the shower, that's several steps right there, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, and, oh, and, and I bought a treadmill. Wesley, well, I bought a treadmill four years ago. I think last week I took it out of the box, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. But, but, but. Now, I used to play a whole lot of racquetball. Okay. Played racquetball for 20 years, and then after I, my, my knees just couldn't take it anymore, I said, you know, it's racquetball or bust. It has been bust. It has been bust, which is not a good thing, mm -hmm. which is not a good thing, right? So I'm too lazy to do that. Now, given my laziness, am I prepared to deal with being at 232 pounds and slightly elevated cholesterol? So far, I am. Mm -hmm. So far, I am, right? Now... Here's the way my wife deals with it. She says, now, look, I mean, if that's who you really want to be, that's okay. Let's up the insurance a little, okay? Mm -hmm. All right? Because living with you, if you want to be like that, here is what I'm going to do, right? Now, of course, she cares. But the truth of the matter is she, it, she, she, she cares about me. She cares about me. So what's going to take, what is it going to take for me to really get busy with maintaining healthy body weight? In many instances, unfortunately, I may have to experience something catastrophic, which may in fact be too late. Mm -hmm. 
the very same thing tends to be true with relationships. Exactly. Yeah. I, I feel like that's exactly where you were going with. Yeah. yeah. The very same thing tends. And in many instances, I've had clients, particularly couples, especially married couples, who've come and have said, Doc, if you can't help us, there's no help for us. Oh, wait. First of all, don't put that on me. Yeah. All right? Don't, don't, no, no, no. I don't no, need no. that type of pressure. No, 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 no. You got yourself in. Yeah. My job is to show you how to get yourself out. Even if it's not together anymore. Correct. Correct. Right? So, so there, 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 there are couples that I have worked with, married couples that I've worked with, and a part of working with them was to end that thing amicably. Right, so they can separate and go their different ways. Yeah, because you know one of the worst parts of a of a divorce is the actual divorce. It's like they're not they're not even that upset of the love is this and this. It's like it's about to get really ugly. And if somebody, if the right person can step in and be like, "Hey, we don't need." It's already going to be too many emotions going on. Correct. People involved, people getting drug into this, kids, whatever, financial Correct. ties. Let's let's do this amicably so that it goes as smooth as possible. Correct. Because and when I see that starting to happen. I then challenge the couple by saying, wait a minute. <laughs> Remember you said to each other at least one time ago that you were in love, that you did love each other? Where's that? Where's that? Right? Because one of the big errors, stinking thinking, that people engage in is this thing that you only love someone by coming to know them, which is completely false. You do not come, you, 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 you do not love someone because you've gotten to know them. In fact, what I, again, preach and teach is that if you cannot love someone or you do not love them before you even meet them or, 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 or know that they even exist, you won't even after you meet them. One more time. If you do not love someone even before meeting them or knowing that they exist in the world, you will not when you meet them because love does not come from knowledge of another person. It does not. I got you. It does not because you are the love. You come into that relationship. I got to I, I gotta ask you, what is it that, because I'm sure, I, I don't know how many, if I'm saying this correct, branches to psychology is, there is, or specialties or, or uh, expertise, but there's multiple layers of it, right? Multiple. Was was it because either or or a combination? Was it you grew up, you know, a very loving, positive guy. Your your parents, you know, made you feel a certain way. Maybe maybe your grandparents. Was it maybe falling for this chick or thinking you almost fell for her, or was it that you were going into the pasture? How do you say the the the, the pastorate? Pastorate. Yes. That you were going into the trying to get the pastorate degree, and you know, obviously that teaches you you know very loving, religious, you know, open hearted ways as Correct. well. Was it a combination of all those or anyone specifically? But how did you, why did you choose this side of psychology to go into the, the love portion of it, the emotional, you know, you know, therapeutic part of it to, you know, to really specialize in what you do? Brilliant question. Brilliant question. And it's all of the above. And it's really this combination of psychology and spirituality under the auspices of Christianity. And here's what I mean by that. I got you. I get it. So, so being raised as Christian and being a pastor and then working with, with, with people in the church over many years dealing with heavy-duty stuff, heavy-duty 
heavy duty stuff. <clears throat> the Bible really does not speak a great deal about relationships and how to nurture them and how to grow them and mature them, right? It just doesn't. You're right. It just, it, it, it I've just read the doesn't. Bible three times. It, I it just doesn't. It just doesn't. So when I went to the other side of psychology, psychology does, but psychology does it in a way that does not provide all of the answers. So what I decided to do was to blend them, to blend them. And so once again, if you look at the four-dimensional love model, the model of selfish love, exploratory love, contractual love, all of that is up the way to contractual love. That's pure psychology. That's pure, pure psychology. The fourth dimension, which is covenant love, is pure spirituality. Interesting. Pure yeah. spirituality. So psychology is just now beginning to, 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 to discuss spirituality and just now beginning to discuss things like covenant love or altruism. The idea is that you can, in fact, be this really good person where you really look for nothing else from anybody else in order for you to have purpose or meaning, right? You can, in fact, embody being a good person simply because you, are, you choose to be a good person. So to answer the question, growing up in a home, my, 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 my 85-year-old father and my 80-year-old mother still married today, wow. 65 years of marriage. So I grew up in... Are they still on the island? It's, yes. Nice. Yes. So I grew up in a home where, where you might say that stable force has always been there. Mm -hmm. And they, they, they are still very active in my life. That's very, awesome. very much so. Very much so. So I had that as an example. But the example of staying married and just experiencing some things with them, I also saw some, uh, I, yeah. don't, I don't know, right? Yeah, yeah. So what I then did, because that spiritual component really came from them in that regard, the psychological component came from my training. And then when I started working, because prior to moving to South Florida six years ago, I lived in Fayetteville, North Carolina, uh, and worked at Fayetteville State University teaching there, but then also worked part-time for the church that I attended as the on-staff psychologist. And what I saw there um, was many, many families experiencing trauma, particularly starting in 2003 when I got there because we'd just gone to war. Don't know how much you know about Fayetteville, North Carolina, Don't. but it is the home of Fort Bragg, which is now one of the largest military installations in the country. Okay. So in 2003, when we went to war, many of the individuals in Fayetteville, North Carolina, were deploying to Iraq and Afghanistan, okay. which left a whole lot of families with trauma. I got you. Some people didn't come back. Exactly. And so when I moved to the church there, the church leader said, Sam, we're, 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 we're out of our depth. Would you create a counseling ministry for us? Which I did. That then is where I started working very, very heavily with my training in psychology to help these individuals but saw that that went so far, but no farther. That is when the spiritual component then came in to cap it off with this unconditional agape covenant love. I love you because of me. I have the capacity to love you, and as such, 
I am love for you. You become the recipient of the love that I am. Ashamed. As, as passionate as you are about this and writing the book, and, and I, don't, I don't know how is it that you teach at the college. Quickly, well not quickly, but I'm saying, is what exactly is it that you're teaching at the college? It's not this, this love, this depth of love. You are a psychology professor. Correct. So is that like not psych 101, but are you teaching some level of just general psych? Yes. So I teach, I teach a number of courses. Okay. Um, so it's, it's Introduction to Psychology, which is psych 101, so to speak. Okay. Um, but I also lead the division called Social and Human Services. Most of those courses have to do with substance abuse, treatment, counseling. And in all of my courses, so for example, Introduction to Psychology, Human Growth and Development, Human Sexuality, there's always room in all of them to incorporate my beliefs and my teachings on relationships. And I do. It makes sense. Well, yes. I mean, everything, a relationship is anything with another person involved. That is correct. So whether it's is a brotherhood, it's co-worker, you know, co-workership, peers, whatever it is, you know, it's hard to... Bring the good out of somebody if you haven't found that good in yourself yet. Correct. If, you, if, you're, if you're not acknowledging that you are trying to be a better version. That is correct. So that, that's what you, you know, so, wow, okay. And then, have you wanted to journey into any other branch? But, you know, you kind of feel like, well, this is my specialty. This is where I'm going to stay, and I'm just going to do as much as I can with this platform. Yeah, I've decided to stay in this lane um, for several reasons. You're great at it, for uh, one. Well, <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you, you're kind. But because what I believe and what I teach, I, I, I think is unique and different, then, then, then I want to continuously do that. So, for example, as a psychologist, another area of interest, one of the things that really kind of got me into going back to school to train to be a psychologist is, is memory. Memory. So, so I would love to pursue more research and reading and teaching and training in memory but I'm not going to do as much there as I do in relationships because I've concluded if only in my own mind, I'm the only person teaching what I'm teaching. And so in order to get that out to the masses, again, how quickly can you get it out to the masses, right? That's what I'm trying to do. So I'm and going that to takes, And that takes time and determination and a whole lot of grind. So, so let's say over a 16-week period at Miami-Dade College, I might have, let's say, 250 students at my disposal. I have 16 weeks to uh, teach those students a broad section of subjects, one of which is going to be the concept of love. But I only have 250 people for 16 weeks. And so before I can uh, rinse and, and rewash, right, right, then it's going to be another. Se- so give it, I can't do that any, any, in, any more than what, three, maybe four times? Uh, no, three, three, three times a year. So three times 250, what does that give me? Kind of like uh, 750, 750 people a year to teach this stuff, many of whom might not embrace it or get it. Right. It's a long haul. Long haul. It's a long haul. Yeah, when you look at it like that, it, it almost seems like those numbers are too small. When you, They're when, way when too you reach small. Out bigger. You know what? And, and I know you're trying to, but that's why right now we, we, we all of us who are trying to put something out there and reach the masses – we have to use the social media platform. We, we, which, quite frankly, is, is, is a challenge for me mm-hmm. um, because I am so old school in that regard. 
and uh, I have a 31-year-old daughter, social media marketing specialist. And so for years she's been saying, Dad, you really need to do ABCX. Samantha, I'm not doing that. Dad, you really need it. Samantha, I'm not doing that. All right? and, and so here I am. Are you having, but she could be the one helping you? Sam, you're tripping. I, I am tripping. You're right? tripping. How, look, look, look now, come on now, Sam. Let me be the psychologist now. If you're that passionate about it and you really want it that bad, because you do, you really want to help people out, you want to teach them this new thing, you, you got to buckle down. Listen, we both had to do the same thing. I hate the social media aspect. Yep. I hate all the, the posting, the little, yeah. I got to do this, I got to yeah. edit that. I hate it. I yeah. really wish, and, and I know it'll happen very soon, that I had an assistant or an engineer that can help me with all that, right. that I pay a certain amount a month. Correct. You need to do the same thing, whether it's your daughter or somebody else. Right. Hey, I'm just going to give you the info that I record, and I need you to do that whole social media thing. Yeah, and, and I think I'm prepared to do that. Um, and... I think Samantha did make a commitment at some point. Okay, Dad, just give me the information. I'm going to do it for you. Yes. Dad yeah. has not given her the information. Okay, well, you need to. That's on Dad, <laughs> right? Uh, he hasn't even taken the treadmill out of the box. Samantha, we're going to fix that. I promise you. What's up, folks? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Black Sheep Perspective Season 2. If this happens to be your first time watching or listening, please take a quick second to hit that subscribe button and tap that notification bell so that you don't miss another episode. Once again, thank you everyone out there for all the support. If you got something to say, right. make sure it's knowledgeable. Make sure, of it's, course. make sure it's information. If you if you don't have something positive, knowledgeable, some information to exchange with somebody, be wise and shut up. Knowledge speaks, wisdom listens. Yes. I try to be wise. I try wow. to listen more often than not. So as I was applying that for such a while, it just made life better. Of course. In so many ways. Even, again, going to you have to be loved in Correct. order to bring somebody. I wanted to make sure that I can be this, this great person, mm. you know, because I did want it in return. I yep. wanted to gravitate that in return. I wanted positive vibes in my in my tribe, you know, and luckily I'm there with, with the friends and people that I got. But um, the podcast helped me practice it and like become like a ninja with it, you know. Really? So the, the podcast has taught me so well to listen, to listen. And, and while, while I'm listening, I'm so intrigued by it that in my mind, you know, the skill that I acquired is I'm listening, taking it in, loving it, and I got a question to ask. And then right there I have to pump the brakes and tell myself, okay, go back to listening. Of course. That's what, what people don't do, not that I'm not putting myself better on any, anybody else. Correct. The minute they hear something, here you are talking about, blah, 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 and you, and you say something, and, and their head, they're like, oh, I want to tell him something. And then, oh, but I'm going to wait till he stops. But they're thinking <laughs> in their head the whole time, I want to tell him, I just want to tell him. I want, and they just missed the other four minutes Absolutely. of what you said, because Absolutely. they've been dying to tell you this. So I acquired that skill, and I, and I hope everybody out there listening be, become a better listener. Ooh. And, and and I promise you, it'll change your life. Mm. It sounds so like, I don't know what to call it. It is true. It I is true. Man, listen, you, 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 have you considered going back to school and, 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 no. and becoming a psychologist? No, I know. I, no. I love, I'm telling you, doc, I love psychology on so many levels, but no, no, I haven't. Yeah. Haven't. Because the, the, you know, the common misconception is that we psychologists, we, we, we quote-unquote fix people. And what I say to my students who, who, who are being trained, the secret, the, the, the real secret uh -huh. is listening. Because the client owns the problem, 
the client owns the solution. When you listen carefully and long enough, you now identify the areas that you're going to show the client mm. how they can, in fact, solve their own problem. But without having listened, and in most instances, my own experience is the first counseling session that I have with someone, it's always scheduled for at least two hours. Okay. The very first hour is dedicated purely to listening, purely to listening. And more often than not, what I hear someone say, um, within that hour, by the end of that hour, they say, gosh, you know what? I think I just came up with the solution here. Really? Tell me about that. And then they go on to talk about the solution that they, that they came up with. I said, wow. I think you're absolutely correct. Yeah. Now, given that solution, what's the best way for you to really just play that thing out? And before you know it, they come up with their own plan on how to do that. That's what we do. That's what we do. Most people are simply looking for an opportunity to just talk. And given their capacity as a human being, with the, with the faculties to think through things, they will work through it. Now, a lot of it, of course, what I do is... Doesn't that come, with, doesn't that come with, with, I like to say that emotion clouds judgment. So if they're too emotionally involved, they're not going to make the right decisions. So in other words, when they don't sit back and give it thought, like what you just said, and listen more, it's because their emotions are riled up. And then that's why when somebody says something, it rouses up your emotions because they brought a good point up. They brought something that you connected to. And then right away they want to, so they got to learn to just to calm down those emotions and you will listen better. But if you let your emotions get the best of you, you're just dying to speak. You're dying to either vent or get some type of validation to how you feel, yeah. you know, things of that nature. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, did you read Robert Emerson books or no? I do not. I do not. I'm Most not sure of my that. reading um, is is really the Slightly. research. Yeah, stay research. right in your lane. It's, it's, and and I, I try to read even wider. Um, so much reading that yeah. needs to be done. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so much reading that needs to be done. What I'm what I'm what I'm trying to do in my lane is become as knowledgeable and as proficient as I possibly can. Now. Quite frankly, one of the things that will facilitate that is doing some reading just outside of my lane as well, mm -hmm. right? And I try to do some of that, but, man, I'm telling you, most of the books that I have purchased to read this year, I'm still trying to get through the first six of them, right? Because it, it's... Do you feel like they throw you off and you're not, you're not agreeing, and then at that point you, you just lose the kind of the, the yearning to finish it? Excellent question. What I find is that for most of them, there is a disagreement, but the disagreement kind of fuels my curiosity to check my own thought and thinking about the kind of philosophies that I ideally would like to advance. Again, for the sake of, uh, uh, or at the expense of sounding like a broken record. So when I read the Five Love Languages for the first time, you would not recognize the book if you were reading my version of the or my copy of the book because I go through, I highlight, I underscore. There are references back and forth. There's red ink all over. Mm -hmm. I have a tablet like this sitting in the back of the book where I make notes and I go back and because I'm really trying to think about the thing in a very critical way, not to simply criticize the book. And criticism here is not a bad thing, right? But to criticize my own thinking about the book. 
And this is what I invite particularly my students to do. Because when I share things with them, for the most part, it's things that they're hearing for the first time, especially the things that I've drawn as a model or conclusion. And I say to them, now listen, what I'm sharing with you is very different than everything that you've ever heard or been taught. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Challenge mine. Uh, challenge mine. Right. Because the more you challenge mine, either it's going to be refined or it's going to fall apart. And I am not fearful of either one. Love it. Because if it falls apart, then, okay, it really had no legs to stand on the first time. But if you challenge it and you refine it, that makes it better, which means it can stand the test of time. And that's exactly what has happened with the four-dimensional love. Every time someone has seen it or really thought about it and some criticisms, and I have asked, where are the weaknesses? Have you been challenged by any, any colleagues of any sort to, to a great extent where... You know, um, not that they were right, but maybe where they had a point or maybe where they made you, you know, second guess or take a double take look at something. In a word, no. And a part of the reason is because my, 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 my writings haven't been sufficiently uh, spread across the spectrum. Okay. Right? So not enough people have seen it. Once again, Correct. we got to get it out there. It's of, of course. Of course. Of course. Man, we, 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 we got we to gotta get the internet going with yeah, you. Yeah, you, yeah. We, you have to. And, and, and. Again, to my Samantha's credit, <laughs> that uh, I, I, I know this is time-consuming. It's not a part of, uh, for the most part, it, 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 it doesn't fall in your wheelhouse. Right. But, but this stuff that you're putting down, it, it's, it's, it's great it, stuff. It, it, it it's, 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 it's good. It's, it's different. It's challenging. It's, um, uh, it, it's, it's another way of, of looking at it. Now, in my mind, I believe that it is solid through and through, right? I've tested it, tested it, tested it. In fact, a former student of mine recently said, teach me to do what you're doing. Well, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for disciples, right? Looking for disciples. Now, again, that's a, that's a, that's a much slower process than doing podcasts and radio or television and writing books. And, but those things take time. How do you feel about... I don't know if you're going to totally shit on it or what, but the art of seduction. Not familiar with that. No. No. Oh, wow. Okay. I need to get that. Yeah, yeah. It's written by, okay, Robert Greene is the writer of uh, the famous 48 Laws of Power. 48 Laws of Power is, is a really, really good book. You're not going to agree with everything. Right. But he basically, he basically is using past pioneer people who implemented these laws of power into whatever fashion they did to impact the world they did from Napoleon Bonaparte to, you know, uh, Hannibal, the, uh, the commander Hannibal, um, Cleopatra. He just used how they use their own law of power and how they implemented it. Then he breaks it down. First, he, he gives you a historical reference onto how it was, you know, used back then. And then he breaks it down as to what his definition of this power is and then, which is one part that I love about it, he gives you the reversal. Mm. He'll, he'll tell you, hey, if you abuse this power, this is what can go wrong. If you go too light, if you go too strong, if you don't, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, amazing book, top bestseller. The second book he made was 33 Strategies of War. To me, that was way better. Mm. I felt like on 48 Laws of Power, it had a lot of, um, a lot of like, I don't know, almost, it almost seemed like a little too stubborn. It almost seemed like, okay, you're way too grounded on this, and a couple of these laws are a little bit too strong. And I'm somebody gotcha. who thinks like that. You know, I think 
war tactics. I think, you know, how to implement these ways into your everyday life. Not that I'm a, a, a soldier of violence or anything like that. No, Correct. just, just Correct. the tactical approach to things. So 33 Strategies of War, to me, was amazing. And you can, he did the same approach to it. And even if it was some, you know, like, when you have your enemy down, you know, make sure you put him away. Gotcha. Sounds disgusting, right? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Pretty, but, but then he breaks it down as to why and why not. Correct. He said he, he refers to some general who could have killed the enemy and didn't, and how they came back to bite him in the ass and they lost the war. Of and lost, you know. And then he did the one who did. And he gives you both sides, mm. and then he talks about reversal. So that was an even better book. Well, his third book, not like that, but he went into what's called The Art of Seduction. Gotcha. And he labels different... Almost not the languages, but he did kind of go into we're we're all different. Mm. Um, a siren. Uh, he, okay, there was I think there was mythological references. Anyways, I think you, you should check that out. I, I will. Would, would love when we do this I again will. to get yes. to get an opinion on that right Art there. Of seduction. Yeah. Um. It, it, I think it'll do you. You might laugh at it. You might you might think some things are cool. It might kind of connect too much to the five languages. Just a different approach. Yeah. You know? Listen. Uh, at least it's kind of in your wheelhouse. You it, know? it it is, and and the more I read in 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 my wheelhouse, mm-hmm. the better for me. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The, the I, I I am not fearful of exploring other ideas, concepts, theories because um, I have filters of my own. Right. Right. And so I I I I would like to believe that I'm pretty strong in critical thinking. And and given my background in psychology, particularly, if someone is going to present something through psychological lens, then I'm 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 pretty familiar with the theories. Yeah, and you're more open to it. You're, it the thing is, some people are just too stubborn. Yeah. And, and 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 truth be told, Doc, the smarter you are, the more stubborn you are because you're just so damn smart. You yeah. just know so much. It's it's hard to pull you away from that or steer you a different way. Correct. Um. You don't you don't give that off at all. You don't well, give that off at all. Thank you, thank so you. That, no, that. the the the, I want to be as as embracing as I possibly can. I'm I'm not fearful of knowledge. I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm not. And a part of the reason I'm not fearful of knowledge is because I I I I do have confidence not only in the knowledges that I have, but greater confidence in my ability to decipher other knowledges. And so for that reason, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not fearful of what someone is going to present because, again, I can, I can think through these things. Right, right. I can. Yeah. Um, I want to make sure that if anybody wants to reach out to you, they know all different ways of you know, reaching you. I know that they can easily type you up. They can Google you and it comes out. Dr. Sam, S-A-M, Hasty, H-E-A-S-T-I-E. Correct. I don't think anybody else came up. I think maybe some somebody came up, but no, it was mainly all you. So, Correct. but um, how you have a social media platform of any sort? Even though we were just talking about how bad you are with it, do you have anything at all? Or no. So, so, so uh, there is a website. There's okay. actually a website. Okay. Uh, helpfulhasty.com. Hasty as in your exact last name. Correct. So helpful h e l p f u l h e a s t i e dot com. Okay. Correct. Correct. And and if someone wants to reach out by by email, it's info at helpfulhasty.com. Okay. Yeah. Info at help, helpfulhasty.com. That gets it. And now this is any way to just reach out to you because I want people that, hey, you might want 
personal consultation. Correct. You do that. You, you know, you, Correct. You have, you, I don't know if you have your own practice or how do you do Correct. it? Correct. I do. Okay. Yes. And this is in, um, is this up in Jupiter where you're at? So I'm in, I'm in Coconut Creek. Which oh, is, Coconut Creek. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Coconut Creek, which is just north of, well, it's a part of the Pompano Beach area, mm-hmm. right? But most of the work I do is virtual. So, so uh, I have several clients that I will see today. It's all done by Zoom. Okay, okay. Right? Uh, that that it, that way, I'm able to see people a whole much uh, much more quickly. It's easier, no travel. Right. It's s- certainly during this COVID season. Of course, you know, some people get weird with that. And absolutely, can put them at absolutely a, a, an uncomfortable yeah. position where you're not going to yeah. get the the purest form of them. Correct, right. correct. And the 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 connectivity is there. You know, one of the concerns that we had about uh, telehealth, if you may, is are you going to be as effective as you are in person? The evidence so far says yes. The evidence so far says yes. And so I think we're going to see more and more and more of that. Of this, yeah. this becoming a more of a trend. Absolutely. Even, even after COVID. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because once again, you, 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 you have a clinician, uh, you take her, and you want her to reach as many people as possible. Every time she gets into her car to go from point A to point B, there's time involved. And even if she's traveling to one particular office, uh, she gets she has to get ready, she has to get over there. And, and if she's operating from one spot, once she's there, it reduces the amount of time that it'll take her to move around. So it's, it's, it's here to stay. Okay, yeah, I know, I agree. I agree, yeah. I definitely saw that becoming a big trend, even on the fitness world. Not something that I'm into, you know. Uh, uh, you can't teach MMA via... <laughs> You can't. You have to do hands-on. You, of you course. Can't. I, I can tell you to do a workout. Correct. And might be able to scream, hey, your posture's not good. You Correct. Know, but you can't do MMA, so that, yeah. that's not my thing. But, um, Doc, I want to tell people that, guys, if you're watching on YouTube um, or listening on your audio, regardless of any platform, if you guys got questions for Dr. Sam Hasty. Please leave a comment. Absolutely. Ask. I know that he'll be love to answer it. You Absolutely. know, we, we love to have interaction with everybody out there. I'm sure some of you were kind of maybe uh maybe lost, uh maybe want a better understanding. Correct. Maybe want more details. Correct. Um, whatever it is, ask your questions. You know, we we like we want to vibe with you guys, and he can definitely be the professional that's answering your questions. And better yet, if you really think you want to seek some consultation. Make sure you reach out to him Absolutely. at helpful, well, at info, info at helpfulhasty.com. Correct. Okay. And if, in case you forget that, you can hit me up on the Black Sheep Perspective on the podcast and I'll do the follow up for you and then I'll get the information. Regardless, we'll have the information down in the description of the video. Doc, Sam, I can't tell you how much of a pleasure it's been. Pleasure's mine. I, I insist that you come back. Absolutely. Okay. I want Absolutely. you to read that book. I will. And whatever else, and then we can come get groovy with it a little bit more. Absolutely. And um, journey into it. By then, I'll have a bunch more questions set up. I'll make sure I'll holler at a bunch of my friends, people who have some uh, specific scenarios to deal with. Yes. Um, because there's a lot of people who talk about the five languages, and I, I hope this rattles them. I, yeah. I want them to be rattled. I want yeah. them to second guess and always question everything because Absolutely. there's so many angles to approach all things. Yes. And uh, you're a big reason for that. So I appreciate it. It's been an honor. Thank you very much. Guys, make sure you, uh, I would like to say follow him, but he doesn't have <laughs> social media yet. We're going to change that. By the time we get him back on, he's going to have a social media, and he's going to have at least 1,000 followers because we're going to help him do that, okay? Thank but you, Kaylee. For now, guys, make sure you stay tuned. Again, it's season three. This is the uh, second podcast of season three. Also, make sure you tune in. 
to my vlog series of Go Ahead and Ask the Black Sheep. Love to interact with you guys on that, too. Hope everybody has an amazing week. Stay safe, people. Love and peace. Thank you. Thank you.